1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Andrew Sorkin. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, my interview with Valerie Jarrett. She is Senior Distinguished Fellow at the University of Chicago Law School, Senior Advisor to the Obama Foundation, and Co-Chair of the United States of Women, a national nonprofit dedicated to full gender equity. The topic of our conversation was Race, Equitable Recovery, and Resilience and we discuss the ways in which recent events, like the Black Lives Matter protests, are changing the way we work, and how organizations and their leaders can move forward in response. We spoke June 10th at a virtual event for members of CNBC's Workforce Executive Council, a community of top HR, talent, and diversity professionals across all industries. Take a listen. Valerie, it is great to see you. and I'm hoping you can help us make sense of what feels like such a senseless moment in our, our history. I think we're all grappling with so many things on multi-dimension, so uh, it's, it's not the best question in the world, but let me just start by asking, how are you doing?
2: Well, Andrew, thank you. Thank you for asking. I'm actually feeling hopeful. Uh, last week, not so much, but I think as we look at what's been happening over the course, uh, the several days since the death of George Floyd and the video being published, that what we've seen is actually something I've never seen in my lifetime before. And I was um, alive during the civil rights era of the 60s to have all 50 states participating in demonstrations with people, peaceful demonstrations for the most part, with people of all generations, of all genders, of all um, races together saying that we need a change in our country and to see so quickly city uh, elected officials and city councils and, state legislatures actually taking action. Even Andrew, Congress is considering a bipartisan bill. Isn't that a novel idea? My goodness, what wonders it never cease. And so I think we are not just at an inflection point, which is how I felt last week, but possibly at the beginning of a turning point. And the question will be, can we sustain the momentum? Can we see laws change? Can we see the business community put into practice both policies and and procedures that will ensure that all workers are treated fairly and inclusively? Um, And do we see the hearts and minds of so many Americans change? Because let's face it, the systemic racism that we've seen manifested in behavior through law enforcement to businesses uh, is something that we all have to change on our own. What we expect is that government and businesses will put rules of the road in place to protect all of our citizens. And that's beginning now.
1: Well, let me ask you this. There are a lot of businesses, as you know, that have come out publicly in the past week, two weeks now, um, talking about the need for change, some of whom plan to give lots of money, some of whom are, are trying to put together various programs. What do you think companies really should be doing? And, and what can we do that's more, frankly, than just lip service?
2: Well, look, I don't think we need any statements of support. There's plenty of that to go around. Change happens when we begin by looking at our own house and asking, is it in order? And I think every CEO should be saying, what am I doing within my own environment to be inclusive and to truly be welcoming? Am I really um, going uh, beyond what I have historically done to make my workplace a place that is friendly and conducive for people of all races and genders, et cetera?" Or am I just pointing the finger and saying, you over there, you should change, you the police department should change, or you "You, the mayor should change, what am I doing? And I also think we do have, there's a role for business to play in government, encouraging our elected officials to do the right thing. And they oftentimes sit on the sidelines. And this is not a time to hold back because we see that the pressure is working. One data point would be, Keith Ellison, the attorney general for Minnesota took over the investigation and brought charges more swiftly than I have ever seen before. And I know that was made possible because of the pressure that we are seeing in Minnesota and around the country. So the question is, can we keep that constructive pressure up? And the business community has a very important role to play within their own house, but also collectively throughout. But let me
1: ask you about that because the political issue is an interesting one. A lot of business leaders are willing to say things um, publicly, but may not be willing to say things or get involved politically. And it's a very difficult issue. I asked the CEO of Walmart how he felt about the Tom, Cotton, uh, Tom Cotton's uh, comments last week, which uh, you know there were a lot of people in the African-American community and throughout the country who were aghast at what was being said. Uh, uh, Doug McMillan, who I respect, he runs the BRT, unwilling to say anything about that. And so the, the question I ask you is, how far do you think CEOs can and should go
2: I think they should take a look at what their core values are and ask themselves, are they living those values? And I can remember a few years ago when then-Governor Pence was taking a position in Indianapolis, Indiana, that allowed discrimination against people in the LGBTQ community. And we had business leaders like Mark Benioff from Salesforce. Right. Said, well, you know what? I'm not going to do business here. Uh, Tim Cook from Apple, I'm not going to do business here. And I think until we are ready to actually lead with our values, then it's going to be very difficult to make progress. But a more positive way of looking at it is, for example, last week President Obama asked all of our nation's mayors to take a look in concert with their communities at use of force. How are you using, how is your your police department using force? Well, that might require changes in the union contracts. It would be very helpful to the mayors to know that the business community is behind that. And so we weigh in a constructive, positive direction as well as being critical of those whose voices we think are not constructive. A toxic political environment, it's hard for people to speak up, but that's when it's most important. Nobody said this was easy.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.
1: Let me ask you about inside industry today. There's lots of efforts to diversify boardrooms, managements across the board. Um, do you think this is something that politics should get involved in, which is to say, should any of this be regulated? So you're seeing in the state of California, for example, on the, along lines of gender, um, there is an effort, or not an effort, there was a law implemented uh, to require at least one woman on every board. You're also seeing the business community do it uh, in their own way. Goldman Sachs says they won't take a company public unless there are two people of diversity on a board. What do you think is the is the right way forward? Are quotas the way to do this? What, what's the right answer?
2: Well, I don't think it has to be either or. I think it, it can be both and. and. What you're seeing in California is actually following the lead of what's been happening in Europe, where there is a mandate that women be on boards. I think I look at it this way. Diversity is a strength. And in order to have a competitive global marketplace, in order to compete in the global marketplace, CEOs that appreciate that um, are taking action. It's not just enough to say, I believe in this. You have to do concrete things that make your workplace a place that is inclusive. It's not just enough to put somebody on a board or add somebody to a senior staff if they don't feel that it is a welcoming environment where they can thrive. And so I think we have to go beneath the quotas. And in addition to that, focus on systemic change. What are we going to do to build a culture that is actually inclusive from the shop floor all the way to the boardroom?
1: Um, This may be a tough question. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, I had a conversation with Julie Sweet, who runs Accenture, on the air uh, earlier this week, and she's making a a real effort at trying to diversify her her management, her employee ranks. One of the things you keep hearing, frankly, from folks who are white, if I'm being honest about this, especially people who think that they're supposed to be moving up the ranks and they say, well, I may not be moving up the ranks anymore. And how to contend with that uh, inside, um, in, inside an organization. I know there's a lot of people who may get their smallest violin out uh, for that question, but it's something I know that, that, that lots of executives are grappling with.
2: Look, I look at it this way. We shouldn't be competing over slices of the pie. We should be growing the pie. And if your business is growing and flourishing and you create opportunities for people who didn't have opportunities before, and everyone is competing on an even playing field, then let the chips fall where they may. I mean, the problem we're having here is that the playing field is not even. And so leveling the playing field shouldn't hurt somebody who's doing a really good job because the business will grow and there'll be more opportunity. So I don't think we should fall into that zero-sum gain. I think we grow the pie And people who are working hard and are excelling and who are mentored and meant to feel welcome will do well. And that means everybody.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
1: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, Given your role in the world of voting and what you have done, and and I was proud to have that conversation with you last November on voting, tell us what you think is going to happen when it comes to voting and the issue of mail-in voting come this November.
2: Well, I'm concerned. I was concerned when I saw what happened in Georgia yesterday, where there were long lines and examples of people who didn't receive their mail-in ballots. And I think that it should be a wake-up call, Andrew, for every Secretary of State to say, What am I doing to make sure in the midst of a global pandemic that people can vote in a fair and safe and accessible way? I think that there is ample evidence that mail-in ballots is a great alternative. There is no evidence of vote fraud. I think we should extend early vote in every state to give people more days over which to vote. And I thought that before a pandemic, not everybody can take off work on a Tuesday and show up and vote. Um, And I think we should be able to register to vote online. And I think the challenge, and this is where, again, the business community could be helpful, find out what your Secretary of State is doing, where you have a presence. See whether they're making it as easy as possible for people to vote in a lawful way. And let's challenge Congress to ensure that the postal services has enough resources to accommodate what I hope is a big influx of mail-in ballots.
1: How much do you worry about there being a a genuine constitutional crisis in November, in part because of the mail-in, ballots, in part because of the attacks on the credibility of the the mail-in process and what may happen, the amount of time it may take to tally up those votes uh, over potentially several days, if not longer?
2: Well, look, the integrity of the process is what our foundation rests upon. It's what the democracy depends upon. And so I think that uh, unless we start to see changes today that will be in place by November, then we could have a big mess on our on our hands. Look at what happened also in Wisconsin when they had their um, primary season. And there, again, there were those long lines. And what we don't want to have is to so people question the integrity of the election. It might take a little longer to count all the ballots, if we have a lot of mail-in ballots. That's okay. Whenever they're done, then that's when the election gets called. And I think it is not constructive for people to start to question that integrity of the process, to say, well, mail-in ballots are gonna be fraught with fraud. The military has been using mail-in ballots since the Civil War. States have have had it for as long as I can remember. Uh, and so we need voices to push back against that rhetoric who are trying to undermine the foundation of our democracy.
1: That was Valerie Jarrett, speaking at CNBC's Workforce Executive Council event on June 10th, 2020. For more information about CNBC's Councils for C-Suite Executives, including how you can become a member, Please visit cbccouncils.com. I'm Andrew Ross-Sorkin. Thanks for listening to the Keynote. Take care.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.